Hey, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. As many of you already know, about 40% of all insect species on Earth are in decline, and about a third of them are currently endangered. In Australia, several native bee species have been declared either vulnerable or endangered for quite a while now, and this situation has escalated since the 2019-2020 bushfire disasters. Today on the show, guest presenter Fung Jun speaks with Emma Cutting from the Heart Gardening Project about how they've been working to create insect-friendly wildlife corridors in inner-city Melbourne and why urban community gardens are so important for all living creatures, including us. But first up, Fung touches base with Catherine Burthen, who's doing a PhD research project at RMIT University in Melbourne to determine which plants native bees prefer for their food and housing. Catherine Burthen is a PhD researcher with the Interdisciplinary Conservation Science Research Group, otherwise known as Icon Science at RMIT. Catherine's research looks at urban gardens across the city of Melbourne, including the Royal Botanical Gardens and the Australian Native Garden in Royal Park, to see which plants are preferred by the native bees and honeybees, hoverflies and butterflies, ants and wasps, all of which call the city home. Catherine joined us to talk us through the current housing and food crisis affecting the city's native bees. So could you please start by telling us more about your area of research? Well, I study insects and um, insects and arachnids in cities, basically, but my main focus is on flower-loving insects like native bees. And I'm interested in studying these because I think that cities are really excellent opportunities for conservation of these really small organisms. They only exist in entire green space like the Botanic Gardens is like an entire city for a small insect that can't fly very far. So we have huge opportunities in cities to provide resources for these species. And also they're just really cool. They have lots of different diversity in shapes and sizes. Um, And once you get to know them, they're really likeable. Yeah, I think whenever we talk about conservation of wildlife, we tend to think of much bigger creatures So it's great to know that there are people out there who are focused on insects, which is great. Um, Could you tell us more about native bees? I'm not sure about the rest of the Tuesday breakfast team, but I don't know if I actually know what a native bee looks like. Is it what I'm thinking when I picture a bee? Possibly not. A lot of the media is dominated by images of honeybees, which are big and yellow and black bees. But most Australian native bees are quite small. They can range between... I mean, the smallest in Australia is two millimetres long. Um, And in Victoria, you're likely to get bees that range from about five millimetres to up to a centimetre long. Um, So uh, I don't have a good comparison for how big that is, but most flowers are bigger than our native bees. Wow. (laughs) And um, they... They often come in different colours. So a lot of them, some of our native bees are hairless and they'll be black with little highlights of yellow on them. Um, The most common that you'll see is a blue-banded bee. 
They are quite big compared to most of our bees and they have this vibrant bright, bright blue abdomen with bright blue stripes on it um, and reddish brown furry, furry um, thoraxes, which is kind of like your midsection, I guess, we'll have to... <laughs> as far as bee goes. We'll have to pop a photo up on our um, page later this morning so that people can easily identify them. But how do they uh, help? Um, how do they help the our, our landscape? I mean, I know bees um, play a, a very big role in um, in with to do with pollination, and of course, we know with honeybees they produce honey. But um, what what contributions do native bees uh, give to us? They, a big one is pollination. So they're good at pollinating our homegrown veggies and fruits, but they're also really important in agricultural purposes. And the blue-banded bee that I was mentioning before has a special type of pollination that's really useful for things like tomatoes that actually have their pollen is locked up inside very solid structures. And these bees are able to do what's called buzz pollination, where they shake their abdomen at a certain rate and it releases the pollen from these types of flowers. So actually honeybees are not very good at pollinating those kinds of things. We need our native bees to do that. and um, But they also, and I think it's often forgotten, that they're part of a bigger food chain. So having these insects in our gardens is useful for attracting birds and lizards that we love as well. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. Um, and, and we'll get to, you know... Um, what plants honey uh sorry native bees prefer just in a moment but what what can you tell us about um our urban gardens or any projects that are popping up in the city to help attract more native bees and other insects project happening down in south melbourne called the heart gardens project it's run by emma cutting and she's actually got a bigger project in mind she's trying to connect um, westgate park to the botanic gardens and that's really important because for a small insect, it's hard to move around the city. And so her goal is to create these street gardens as a, as a line that will help connect these two rather large. It's kind of like connecting two metropolises by a road for bees um, through the city. And so that's really interesting. She's got a lot of resources available at her website. Um, that's the Heart Gardening. If you Google Heart Gardening, I can't remember the full website title, but you'll be able to find her and her resources. But there's also the city of Melbourne is doing some interesting pollinator plantings along, um, along what is the street called? Along a couple of streets in Melbourne, you'll have seen them in the north of Melbourne. Um, and then there's also the woody woody native gardens in Burung, down next to um, there's that little section as you go down from below the MCG. There's a couple of woody gardens that are just examples of flowering gardens that contain all native woody species. Um, and the Australian Native Garden in Royal Park is really useful to check out as well if you need inspiration for your own garden because they have a lot of native species growing in a very highly cultivated. Yeah, um, I know I know a lot of people have really gotten into gardening uh, since COVID. And so if there are any people out there listening, if you are looking for something to do during the school holidays, maybe perhaps you could do like a little tour of the city and try to find mm. these gardens. That could be great. Um, so for people at home, what can we plant to provide our native bees with housing and food? This is that a lot of native bees don't actually live in hives, and I forgot to mention that before. They're often solitary, and so they nest in, um, a lot of them nest in the ground, so providing just bare patches of earth with loose soil for them is really important, so really maximising the unsealed surface 
So limiting the amount of concrete you put into your backyard is really important because they will nest in the soil. But also you can provide food in the form of pollen and nectar. And it's important to recognise that you're after those kinds of resources. So some flowers will provide both pollen and nectar, some will only provide pollen. And things like native daisies, rock-cut daisies, are really good sources of both. Um, bluebells are really good sources of, of nectar and pollen, but also they can be used for male bees to sleep in. Often I come to Royal Park and I'll find a little male native bee sleeping in a, in a bluebell. And pig face as well are really good choices for native plants that provide pollen and nectar, but also sometimes nesting resources because male bees, um, being solitary, often sleep in flowers. Uh, I find that imagery so cute, (laughs) (laughs) so adorable. Um, That sounds great. Uh, Is there a a resource available to people um, if they would like to know more about the different plants that are incredibly useful for native bees or is it just a matter of googling them? There's a few resources. The aussiebee.com has quite a few resources on um, just getting to know different native bees as well as some resources for how to build your own bee hotel for some of the bees that like to nest in sticks. You can make your own to encourage them to nest in your garden. There's also Emma's project, the heart gardening project. She's got a book which she's compiled with a bunch of different research researchers that provides a list of different plants that you can start with to plant in your garden for encouraging native bees. Awesome. Well, we can definitely uh, pop those links into our show notes later this morning. Just before we leave, Catherine, do you have a favourite bee fact or what's what's your favourite thing about, about native bees? Favourite bee fact? Um, I think... My favourite bee, that's a difficult question. I just love all of them so much. I think I can tell you my favourite bee is the one that's nesting in my garden at the moment. I think um, my favourite fact is that they are able to sleep in in flowers. And actually my favourite bee fact generally is that irises, if you've seen that brush in the middle of an iris, you know how it's got that little yeah. periwinkle in the middle? Yeah. That's actually evolved to be a bee bed because male bumblebees um, will sleep in those because they're also a lot of a lot of them have male solitary species too, and so they get pollinated by bees sleeping in them. So they've evolved to become a better bee bed. And and how long do they sleep for? Um, they will sleep overnight, the whole night. Oh my gosh! And some some native bees in Australia will actually sleep through the whole winter, so they'll just skip out on the cold bits. Wow. Okay. Well, I I think that that is definitely my favourite fact that I've learned today or have learned in general about bees. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. I think with uh, yeah, summer coming and with people having perhaps more downtime spent with their families, their children, uh, I think growing a lush garden uh, for bees to, to pollinate and to sleep in sounds like a great idea. Thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us this morning. Thanks very much for having me. That was Catherine Burthen speaking with us December last year about how we can provide native bees with food and housing. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. The Heart Gardening Project, 
is a community initiative led by Emma Cutting. The aim of the project is to create wildlife corridors on public land, transforming nature strips and other urban areas into insect-friendly gardens. I caught up with Emma on the weekend at one of the bee gardens in South Melbourne on Bunurong Country, and we spoke about the importance of community gardens, not just for the bees and other critters that depend on these environments, but um, the importance of community gardens to people and humans to strengthen relationships during these tough times. Welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, Emma. Could you please start by introducing yourself a bit more and telling us about your work? Hello, Fung. Good morning. Hello. Um, I am the founder of the Heart Gardening Project and we're based, we're a community initiative uh, and not-for-profit organisation based in South Melbourne. And we bring humans and nature together through street gardening and public plantings. Awesome. And how did the Heart Gardening Project come about? It came about through many years of street gardening and me observing that there was a massive opportunity in these spaces, um, not only for nature, which was kind of the first thing that hit me, but also for the community, uh, which definitely um, that was one thing. Just uh, then also there were a whole lot of personal things around. I had chronic fatigue syndrome for 12 years and I really needed to make up for lost time there. (laughs) Um, My daughter um, EJ was born and I really wanted her to uh, learn about nature in the, and seeing as we're in the middle of the city, I was like, I had to do something there. Um, all those things happened at the beginning. And then, because then all these amazingly huge world events happened. We had the bushfires, we had pandemic, we've had climate crisis just amp up. And all of those personal things plus these global things have just meant that we are there is such an opportunity here for us to use these spaces, these nature strips and these barren public spaces and turn them into beautiful gardens for nature. And while we're doing that, it's actually helping us because we are meant to be in nature and it does actually help us. There's the blue-banded bee. There it is right there. Can you see it? Can you describe to our listeners what we're seeing? Okay, so we're at the perennial basil in our laneway and we've got a beautiful blue-banded bee which is zooming around. Oh, it's actually going really slowly today because it's a cloudy day. (laughs) So we could actually see it. But it is the most beautiful... It's actually sitting... You're actually able to see it today. Normally it's just so fast. But they are a native bee and they are absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's taken us six years to get them here. Um, and uh, you might notice that I'm excited. So you mentioned before that we're currently standing in a laneway, one of the laneway gardens. Would you mind describing to our listeners what kind of plants you've got along this laneway here? Absolutely. We've got all sorts. This laneway, me and my daughter, who's almost four, um, we look after this together. Uh, it's We don't really have any garden in our house. so um, And along the streets aren't so safe for a, for a tiny little one. 
Um, so we have whoa, a lot of herbs. We have parsley, oregano, thyme, rosemary, marjoram. We have everlasting daisies, rice, uh, rice flowers. Ooh, can't remember the Latin for those. Nasturtiums. Um, we have calendula, catnip, which is one of the th- one of the plants that the blue banded bees like here. Bay, bay trees. We have um, woolly bushes, brachyscombs, so native daisies. Uh, it's ver- it's varied. And that's probably about half of the plants, so I might not keep going. <laughs> um, you mentioned something before about the fact that you and your daughter don't have a garden, and so you use the space just outside your place to plant all these beautiful plants. What would you recommend or suggest or advise to people who are in a similar situation? They want to, they want to plant things, they want to be in nature but they don't actually have the space because I imagine a lot of people do live in apartments and things like that. It's, it's um, definitely something you hear a lot of in this area and I'm sure in many other areas um, this is the case. So this is where street gardening becomes so important. Um, so as I would say if you've got some space out the front of your house, then have a look at what you can do there because there is so much you can do. Um, Check out your council nature strip guidelines. Most now will let you do something. It's just how they'll let you do it. And then just get going with it. I mean, there's a lot of information on street gardening on on our website, the heartgardeningproject.org.au. And then if you're really keen, I've I've written a book, so you can always get that. (laughs) But I I wrote that book because um, one of the, uh, our main focus at the moment is the Melbourne Pollinator Corridor. And it's, I've spent a year designing and and we've started it as well. It's an eight kilometre pollinator corridor that runs from the Botanic Gardens to Westgate Park. And... It's we're aiming. It's community led that, and it's within local government uh, constraints, but not with local government. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking at planting two hundred indigenous focused gardens. Um, that's about eighteen thousand plants in the next couple of years, and it's it's really exciting. It's based on uh, science. I know you had um, Catherine Berthen on. It's, I've been working with with Catherine as well as about 20 other specialists on how to do this, um, you know, about wildlife corridors, how they work, uh, looking at urban planning, etc., etc. And uh, it's very exciting. It has a lot of support. And um, that's the... So I wrote a book that is an intro to native bees, like our beautiful blue-banded bee, who's still buzzing around. Oh, and um, and an intro to street gardening, which in itself is is its own type of street gardening. It's an uh, its own type of gardening. It's it's like it's kind of like the wild west of gardening, really. And there's there's a whole lot of expectations that it's just really nice to know before you 
head outside your, mm. your own place. And it's also an intro to what you can do around gardening for biodiversity in general. Emma, can you tell us more about these bee gardens, uh, the types of bees that are attracted to these gardens and the role of native bees in our ecosystem? So, so far, the Heart Gardening Project has helped to create over 70 street gardens. They're all, uh, they're all aimed to uh, increase biodiversity. And we do that through the choice of plants. We help with exotics and natives and indigenous plants. And um, so they're all mainly in South Melbourne at this point. I believe there are people, um, definitely um, my book has gone out around Australia, so I'm thinking, I'm yet to find out whether it's actually outside, but I think it is. Um, The types of critters that come along, um, yes, of course, look, we're, we're designing for native bees, but when we design for native bees, that means that a whole lot of other critters come along as well. It means we've got the honeybees. It's not that we don't love honeybees. We do. It's just they're, they're what's called generalists and they'll pretty much, they'll feed on most flowers. Native bees can be a bit more picky and they can, they're, they can be specialists. So, um, so we design for both. And um, so we've got native bees and we've just, and that's very exciting. And we've, I think this summer, we've seen about five or six different species. Uh, we, Catherine came out the other day actually and did the first biodiversity kind of um, survey, which is really exciting. So that's our research underway. When I start on these sites, they are so sad it makes me very determined to do more when I see the difference, which really, they might go from nothing, like I cannot see anything living, to literally buzzing and wriggling beauties. That sounds amazing. That sounds incredible. Um, I would love for you to talk about the community impact that these gardens have had and, and also just the, or have you heard from people in the community about Um, how gardening has impacted them. The reaction from the community has been immense. It's actually, there are plenty of challenges, I have to admit, with what we're doing, which is, you know, pretty new. But the reaction and the constant incredible support from the community is what I, I ride on that wave of massive positive um, feedback from the very very beginning um, you know there's cards in the mail that people will be handing me cash to do more or to um, we did crowdfunding right at the start this was in the very first lockdown a while ago now Um, and we did uh, we raised five thousand dollars to to build gardens and it's every day every day I hear stories about how someone's noticed something in the garden or they've noticed little critters more because of, you know, what I've been doing or um, they've, they've got kids that stop and they have conversations with their families, either at home. So it sparks conversations about nature, which, for, oh, 
it's that's very powerful stuff that's the thing about street gardening is that it's so powerful it's underestimated as well i think it is just this gold mine of untapped power and it's it definitely has ups and and downs but there's so many more ups as well as bringing the community together in around the street gardens and when people are passing by as the volunteers that we have working together is so special and they've they all give, of course, their time and energy and positivity to create some really amazing gardens. We don't use chemicals, we don't use big machinery, so it's, it can be slow going. They're really difficult sites. So the volunteers are absolutely amazing and we're really going to be upping that over the next year uh, so we can yeah, organise volunteers uh, better so we can do more gardens. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, at 3CR, we definitely know what it means to be a volunteer and we love we love that support from the community and, and people who want to get out there and help um, and give their time and energy to projects that they're really passionate about. So, yeah, that sounds incredible. There are so many people that want to help. That's what I've actually um, been blown away by as well. I get emails all the time by people wanting to help. What can we do? This sounds really good. So I, I know we're on to something. So now it's, it's time to really, really make it grow. Well, uh, it's been an absolute joy just to actually be here in the garden with you today, Emma. And uh, make sure you check out the Melbourne Pollinator Corridor, the Heart Gardening Project, and follow Emma's wise words and just get out there and start gardening. Thank you so much, Funk. That's absolutely spot on. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today on the show, guest presenter Fung Jun spoke with Emma Cutting from the Heart Gardening Project about the vital importance of creating insect-friendly wildlife corridors and community gardens in urban areas. And you can check out their website at theheartgardeningproject.org.au. And earlier in the show, we heard from RMIT researcher Catherine Burthen about how we can protect native bees by nurturing their urban habitats. And you can find today's podcast and all the details and links from today's show at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we would love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. That's all for today, but don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories.
When you compare an old growth forest compared to a forest which is regrowing after a disturbance like logging, they're actually quite different ecosystems. Generally, like older, wetter forests slow down the path of fire, and this is actually quite a well-known phenomenon. Historically, these big, large fires have been quite rare, but what we've seen in the last 20 years is they're becoming quite a lot more common. So we've had three in the last 20 years. This is definitely because of climate change, which is making our ecosystems a lot drier and the fire weather more intense. We need to keep radical voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Transitions Film Festival returns this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about technological innovations and change-makers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February 18th to March 13th, with screenings in Melbourne and online nationwide. For the full program, visit transitionsfilmfestival.com. Transitions Film Festival is a 3CR supporter.